the past few years, we've heard the term free agents and been told we would all need to become one in order to succeed. The recent economic structures have helped to promote this concept as reality. Where do we get the tools to take control of our career path in the present and future? Welcome to The Career Confidant with your host, Marie Zimanoff. Marie and her guest experts are here to provide you with the tools you need to move forward and achieve your career goals. Now, here is Marie Zimanoff. Hello and welcome to The Career Confidant and we're glad that you're here and you are in for a treat today because we have a guest who's going to share how we can be more effective in a technical job search, but I got to tell you that this information will be very good for you, even if you're not in a technical job search. And our guest today is Kate Williamson, and Kate is a former chemist, and now she does interview coaching, resume writing, job search coaching with clients who tend to be also engineers, science, IT, healthcare, medical. And so if you are in that field or know someone in that field, you are, as I said, going to want to stick around and listen in. But even if you're not, you're going to get some great tips from Kate. So Kate, thank you for joining us. We're glad to have you. Thank you so much for having me, Marie. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. So you chemist to careers Tell me a little bit about that. That's <laughs> that's quite the shift. How did that come around for you to shift from your technical background into career consulting? Yeah, that's um, a little bit of a long-ish story, but it can really be distilled down into three words or extreme job dissatisfaction. So I started working in an R&D applications lab, which I loved. It was one of my first jobs after I completed my master's. And I got to work on all sorts of fun specialty chemicals projects that involved formulating and testing a lot of industrial grade materials like tape and sealants and other industrial coatings. Um, and then after two years, I actually moved to the Netherlands with my partner, who's now my husband. And I worked in a production environment as a product development engineer. And this was a job that looked great on paper, but was really a letdown in terms of what was advertised versus what I actually spent most of my time doing. So your classic bait and switch, which I'm sure many of um, your clients, I know my clients have um, encountered that scenario before. So, Right. It's I not exactly into, what they say that's yeah, going to be, but that's people, a long ways to move for something that's not what they say it's going to be. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a whole big personal story about that as well, but that, that could be a story for another day. Um, but anyway, going back to that opportunity, I, I'm not going to go into all the details and the larger discrepancies, but essentially it led to a lot of overwork, chronic stress, and really exhaustion on a physical, mental, and emotional level. And, you know, after that, it didn't really take long to start hating my job and feeling like I was wasting my time and just becoming more and more cynical. And um, I don't know if you've ever had a job that was really awful to the point where you come home Fridays exhausted and then Sunday rolls around and you can feel that panic, that anxiety, knowing you have to do it all over again for five days in a row. That was basically me for two years. So basically that, on top of everything else work-wise, I was trying to adjust to a new country, new culture, language, and basically the stresses both personally and professionally led into one another and it became a recipe for burnout. So I got to that point where I knew I had to do something. And um, actually during that time, I was looking for uh, ways to find some engagement, some fulfillment outside of this job I hated. And um, one of those was freelance writing. And through that, I found that resume writing jobs were pretty plentiful because, I mean, it's not really a sexy type of writing. So I, that's how I got started, essentially, is I was doing all sorts of subcontracting work. I even worked for one of those dreaded resume mills that we warn all of our clients to avoid. Um, I only lasted about two months there. Um, but I also worked for some established resume writers like Jessica Hernandez from Great Resumes Fast, who I really learned a lot from in like the close to two years that I was a writer on our team. So basically, to bring it, to bring it back to um, the beginning... Um, I'm sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. Oh, okay. I thought you were, I thought you were going to ask a question. <laughs> um, but basically those experiences, 
um, really drove home how fulfilled I felt just helping someone on a more personal level while also still being able to use my technical background to really support more of those clients in those, especially those science and engineering fields, which a lot of people kind of tend to stay away from because of the technical nature of that work. And um, then since 2016, I've gone solo with Scientech Resumes, and we now exclusively work with STEM professionals. Okay, excellent. Well, and that's wonderful for you to have that background and that interest. Like you said, not all of the individuals in our industry have that that interest. Um, so that that's excellent. Now, Kate, tell me, I mean, you tend to see a certain prof- a certain type of professional, but I'm sure they have varied personalities. How do you see a person's personality um, coming into this? Do do they tend to have certain challenges that they're facing, even though they're all different personalities? Are there, uh, sorry, I'm (laughs) consistent. That's the word I'm looking for. Do they have consistent Mm -hmm. challenges? Uh, So, I mean, I would say that a lot of STEM clients are plagued by most of the same job search issues as a non-STEM client. I think one of the biggest challenges that I see on my end is that just generally the STEM fields have more of that added challenge of needing to position and communicate how their technical skills and achievements ultimately connected to meeting the business, the department, or the team's goals. So... I think, um, you know, the universal one, people needing to position themselves for the role they have instead of the one they want. Again, that's pretty universal among STEM and non-STEM clients. I think the biggest thing I see on my end is, um, uh, you know, the nature of those roles are very technical. So there's usually a big emphasis on technical skills, information overload that tends to be um, detrimental, especially when you have somebody like a a recruiter who it's unlikely he or she's going to have that technical background unless they've worked in that field previously. It can be hard to digest that information. So just to kind of give you an example, one of the um, my main client base is are typically PhDs who work across various scientific, excuse me, scientific or engineering disciplines. And a lot of the time they want to leave academia and transition their extensive lab and research background into industry. And so what you see oftentimes is they'll have these really, really detailed CVs. They'll have a lot of scientific and technical jargon that's very narrowly focused on a specific research area. So I think a lot of times in our coaching sessions, it comes down to having to help them make that shift in mindset. So we don't want to avoid the technical language because obviously those skills are going to be important to show those prospective employers that they have the foundational knowledge to perform the job that they'll be doing in industry. But we need to find that balance between the transferable aspects because working in industry, they tend to be very team oriented environments. You also tend to come into contact with people from different cultures, especially if it's like a large life sciences company. So I guess going back to your question earlier, it comes down to balancing those transferable and adaptive qualities, show that they have the skills that govern human interaction, especially in industry where collaboration is key, while also um, getting to think about their achievements in a way that shows what the industrial application for their research, how would that apply in that setting? Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, definitely. And it's something, as you said, a lot of professionals struggle with, but in the technical world, even more so because you have those two different audiences or more to talk to the HR people and the business people that may or may not really know the technical. And then also your technical teammates and you're walking that fine line between, um, you know, sharing information that will be show your technical skills to those technical team members and also sharing your human skills to the people that want to know you can achieve the business goals and 
talk with them and, and collaborate with them. And I've seen that collaboration piece just become more and more important over the last five years. People with outstanding technical skills just really being challenged to also share their human skills, as you said, um, human interaction mm-hmm. skills. It seems like the technical skills alone aren't enough and they kind of used to be. Are you seeing that as well? I think that's something else people get surprised about is, um, I, and I can't remember exactly where I read this, but I think it's somewhere between that over 70 to upwards of 80% of new hires are typically based on um, transferable and adaptive skills versus the tech, the technical side of things, which if you think about it, it makes sense because transferable skills are like collaboration and teamwork and just even the motivation to learn are a lot harder to teach someone than if they know, I don't know, every technical skill, like if they're a programmer or something under the sun. So I think when you look at it that way, it does make sense, but it's often surprising to people who are in that position where they're trying to market themselves for a new job. You know that the career landscape has changed and that you need to be proactive about managing your career. You can have the foresight, skills, and confidence you need to take charge of your career and seize opportunities. A strategic advantage and career expert, Marie Zimanoff has helped thousands of leaders like you get focused, get found, and get hired. Visit GetCareerSmart.com to find out more. That's GetCareerSmart.com or call 800-521-2080 to schedule your complimentary consultation. Today, expertise equals credibility. When you know what to do and how to do it, people follow because they acknowledge that you know more. However, stepping up in your career eventually pushes you out of your comfort zone of expertise. How you lead at those moments requires new skills. We're here to show you how to survive and thrive. Join me, Wanda Wallace, on Out of the Comfort Zone at Voice America Business Channel. You can find more information at Leadership Forum INC. You hear about it all the time. Compromises, destructive malware, major breaches. You can't turn on the news without hearing about the latest cyber event. Learn more about cybersecurity, how it has become one of the most significant threats to our national security, and the battle experts undergo every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Task Force 7 Radio with host George Redis is the voice of cybersecurity around the world. Tune in live every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. If you have a question or comment for Marie or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to marie at a strategicadvantage.com. Now, back to The Career Confidant. Welcome back to The Career Confidant, and today we're talking with Kate Williamson, who is an expert in STEM careers. And Kate, you help people with their resumes and their job search and interviewing, which we'll get to a little bit more. But we were talking about resumes, although what we were talking about also applies to interviewing. It's that connection and communication piece, and we were sharing about how that uh, the soft skills, if you will, have become more important uh, I don't know if you have something or we can circle back around to this, but I wonder if we've got people out there listening who think, you know, well, I've got soft skills, I I can collaborate, but I don't want to put excellent communication skills on my resume, right? We know that that doesn't work. So how do people speak mm-hmm. to that in this space? How do they speak to those soft skills in a way that carries some weight, you know, that really stands out and isn't just the little line, excellent communication skills on their resume? Sure. So I personally have no issue with people putting things like excellent communication skills or team player on their resume, as long as it can be um, qualified or sometimes quantified in some way. So if somebody was going to say, or excellent communication skills, or didn't want to put that, but wanted to at least demonstrate 
that I would um, ask them questions about how they've used that skill throughout their career so far. So going back to the, um, the research example, a lot of my clients have um, do presentations or um, have, to, have to publish papers. So they're already doing a lot of verbal and written communication that's just part of their PhD program or as a postdoc, they become an expert in a certain research area. So they're doing these types of presentations and papers a lot. So that's usually an example we can point to in terms of an achievement for their project. What did this research lead to? It led to, I don't know, three peer-reviewed publications and a presentation at a technical conference, something like that. So that goes a lot further than just saying, you know, oh, I'm an excellent communicator, but can we back it up with that's supported by, I don't know, 10 plus research publications or um, numerous speaking engagements? Um, at technical conferences, things like that. Yeah, and I always tell people that, as you said, what are the examples? And if you say that you've collaborated with their experience or even in school projects, you know, a lot of times today they have to do group projects. And so what do those group projects look like and how do we help them talk about those in a way that shows that, or if they've been on teams in the workplace, talking about that team interaction and what was your role or who was on the team, how many people are on the team. So if we get a few details in there, it makes the story feel credible and really demonstrates those skills instead of list, just listing them. Listing them can be okay, especially if they're in that the job description that way. Um, but it, we, mm-hmm. we really do need to go beyond that because otherwise it's hollow, right? <laughs> One too many recruiters have called that person that said excellent communication skills and found out that in, in in fact, they did not have excellent communication skills. So we need a little bit more on there. Okay. So beyond oh, absolutely. that. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Beyond that, we also have a lot of people in this field who might have overlapping skills or knowledge or, you know, they've been, uh, they've been in this type of technology and also in that. How do you help people that kind of have worn those multiple hats? So... This is a bit of a tricky one because in the end, it depends on the types of positions that um, they're looking to target and what skills and knowledge are going to be most useful in each role. So sometimes I think you can you can get away with it for certain certain roles than others. For example, if somebody has like a background in organic and chemistry and biochem and they're looking to target like a pharmaceutical type of role, like a lot of times the types of synthesis techniques and lab skills and characterization might be pretty similar and you'd probably be okay with not having to change much on your resume. But somebody else, like for example, a polymer chemist is going to use different lab techniques to synthesize and characterize industrial grade materials than if you're an analytical scientist who's more instrumentation based and tends to develop methods to try to identify and quantify different substances and compounds. So to get back to your question, I would recommend that they just use the, they use the job posting as a guide and emphasize the, the technical skills and transferable ones. We don't want to forget about those. They're going to be most relevant, for example, the poly- polymer chemistry role, and then leave out maybe more of the more organic and biochemistry focused ones if they're targeting something in a different industry. So again, I think most of it's going to occur in the general or the overall positioning statement type of role they're targeting skills that'll be most important and going from there. Yeah. And maybe having, depending on how different the two positions are, maybe having two slightly different resumes so they don't have to target. um, If they're targeting two fairly different roles, then they could use those independently. What do you suggest there for people if they're targeting two roles that are fairly different? Oh, I, I actually worked with a scientist who had a really diverse chemistry background that was, you know, specializing across those three areas I mentioned earlier, polymer science, organic chem, and biochem. And um, was basically looking at a few different industries because he had a really unique, deep research background. So in that case, we did actually do three resumes for each career path that would just emphasize specific knowledge and technical and transferable skills that would be most valuable for each role. So sometimes it's just easier to do it that way. Um, 
other times people want more of a master version and they can get away with it by making some smaller tweaks there. Yeah. Yeah. It's sometimes people think the multiple versions will be cumbersome, but they can actually be faster mm-hmm. because then you're not doing as much targeting each time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So what have you observed? And this is kind of a big thing right now, especially it just blew up on Twitter because someone's, you know, quoting tweets about people who would never hire a woman and women can just get pushed out and blah, blah, blah. Um, have you seen that happen? What's the reality and what's the overblown fiction here on Twitter? Um, so <laughs> I think one of the cha- one of the big challenges, and I think you were alluding to this earlier, is the lack of diversity in STEM fields. And there's a lot of statistics that um, that show that minorities, including African-Americans, Native Americans, Hispanics, and, and people with disabilities tend to be grossly underrepresented in STEM fields compared with their representation in the more general workplace population. Um, I, I'll say, say on a personal note that women are still underrepresented in STEM fields. There have been some improvements uh, compared to the 70s, I think, but they still only make up about 28% of the STEM workforce. And I know that just to share a little bit of a personal story for me, when I was in college and graduate school, I remember grad school in particular, I was one of only two or three women in, in my classes that were focused in polymers and coatings. And that tended to get more common as you got to the more advanced science and math courses. Um, and even in my last industry job, when I would occasionally travel to a client site, I would usually travel with the salespeople as the technical resource to do things like troubleshooting. And all of the people in the sales department were men. So I remember people thinking at first glance when we would walk into a, a client meeting, especially it was the first time we were meeting, they would automatically assume I was the salesperson, that my male colleague was the product development engineer. Um, so I, I can't really speak too much to statistics on that on that end. I don't really know any off the top of my head. Um, but I would say that there are um, there's definitely a lack of diversity. And um, some of that can come down to an individual person's choices and interests to not pursue STEM. But I think that there's definitely socioeconomic influences and implicit biases and issues with STEM education opportunities that contribute to that as well. Yeah, I don't know and if that I helped answer the question some or anything, research. but that's just been my experience. Yeah. Yeah, I saw some research a while ago this year, maybe, you know, 2021, 2022, um, that the number in STEM, number of women in STEM has actually gone down. So it was higher in the 90s and maybe early 2000s, which kind of makes sense, right? You got the dot-com bubble, mm-hmm. you have a lot of opportunity, but that it's actually gone down since then. I'll have to find that data again. It's very fascinating. Um, but I, yeah, you know, I, I do think it. it is. Yeah, yeah it, it is an opportunity for people to think about that. So how do you, are there any tips you have for women or minorities, people that are, um, you know, underrepresented in other ways, people with disabilities? Do you have a few quick tips on what they can do in their resume or job search to, mitigate those? I would say, um, especially on the the lack of women side of things, I think a big thing that contributes to that is a lack of mentorship. So I, I know that for a while myself I and other people that I've worked with have shared that they don't feel like they have mentors to ask questions or to learn about a particular career path or just have someone to, you know, ask for guidance when they feel lost. So mm-hmm. I, that's something I would encourage people to look out for. And that could, you know, be depending on what career stage you are in life. It could be a professor. Maybe it's a, a friend who's been working in STEM or someone they know who works in STEM, someone you connected with on LinkedIn or met through a professional association. Like on that note, I know that the American Chemical Society has a pretty extensive networking opportunity. So that can often be a good place to, um, to meet people there. Um, and I think that comes around to the second thing that uh, yeah. can be a challenge is the confidence side. So that's a big one. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and making the right connections and also um, maybe we'll uh, come back around to this, but making sure we're not raising unnecessary red flags in in the resume or understanding at least the choices there and what the impact is that they might have. All right, so let's finish up Mm -hmm. here with one thing a STEM job seeker must have in their job search. Oh, this is going to... This isn't really going to sound like a very tangible item, but I, you know, for me, I swear by curiosity. And, you know, fortunately, a lot of, in my experience, STEM professionals tend to be pretty curious by nature. It's why they go into fields like science and engineering and want to learn how things work. Um, But I think that that can be one of your greatest assets in in just the job search process in general. I know I found through my work with clients that um, the ones who were most curious about the job search process tended to bounce back more from things like, uh, you know, a job loss or just some unwelcome situation that they found themselves in all of a sudden. So that can obviously take many, many different forms there, um, curiosity, but, um, you know, getting curious about talking to people who work at your target companies. I know that's something that we coach our clients on a lot in the career management state, excuse me, career management space, um, and staying open about different career possibilities. So, you know, not trying to pigeonhole yourself into working for one specific, having one specific job title or working at this specific company, but showing more of that interest in just researching and connecting with people in the field. So in my experience, curiosity has a lot of benefits both in and outside of the job search process. So yeah, I love that. Treating it as an experiment, (laughs) right? It's an experiment in and of itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it makes you more open to learning new things and unlearning ineffective job search habits things, things of that nature. So that would be the so, number Kate, one. Tip tell there. people how they can get a hold of you, how they can find and follow more of your content. If they uh, find this helpful. Sure. So I'm basically on all the major social media platforms. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram, Twitter. Um, also, people can go to my website, scientechresume.com. And if they want to book a free 20-minute session with me, they can do so on the contact page and get some uh, good feedback on you know, where their resume looks strong, where it could be improved, and how it could help them in their job search goals. Ah, excellent. Well, Kate Williamson from Scientech Resumes, check her out. She is great at what she does and obviously brings a rich knowledge of the background for those of you who are in the technical arena. And um, we are going to take a short break. We're going to say goodbye to Kate. We'll come back and we will add a little bit more to this and, and tie it with a bow like we always do at the end of the show. So thank you so much, Kate. And we'll be right back here on The Career Confidant. landscape has changed and that you need to be proactive about managing your career. You can have the foresight, skills, and confidence you need to take charge of your career and seize opportunities. A strategic advantage and career expert, Marie Zimanoff has helped thousands of leaders like you get focused, get found, and get hired. Visit GetCareerSmart.com to find out more. That's GetCareerSmart.com or call 800-521-2080 to schedule your complimentary consultation. 
The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. If you have a question or comment for Marie or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to marie at a strategicadvantage.com. Now, back to The Career Confidant. Hello and welcome back to The Career Confidant. And today we were talking with Kate Williamson from Scientech Resumes. And one of the topics that we didn't have enough time to dive into that much was this whole idea of the bias that it and the interesting conversations that are happening right now, especially around women in tech. Um, it's kind of unfortunate that it's blown up the way it has, especially after this, you know, two years of of women really struggling in the workplace in general, and with the caretaker responsibilities, not only for kids, but for aging parents. I think it's interesting that oftentimes the bias conversations circle around mothers. You had a lot of women, mostly, who also had to take time out of the workforce to care for aging parents or perhaps parents that weren't even that old in our new definition, but had COVID and needed someone to care for them after they were either recovering or didn't recover and, and had long, long-term long COVID. So the data around mothers in the workplace has never really been that great. Um, going back to the mid nineties, then in the, even the early two thousands and 2010 data that showed women who had kids got offered on average, $11,000 less in salary than women who didn't. And then these new remarks that we're seeing are even about childless women, but the kind of discrimination against them because they will one day have kids which is also an unenlightened perspective since many women today are choosing not to have kids. Unfortunately, uneducated or not, this does hurt women's viability in tech, but also women's interest in tech, because you're not just hurting the women that are currently in, you're also hurting all of those college students and high schoolers who are on Twitter. They're not immune by any means, in fact, perhaps even more impressionable to seeing what's going on, seeing these conversations and wondering, why am I working so hard? I mean, it is a tough road for most individuals in some way or another to go into science, technology, engineering and math. And why would I do that if this is the the 2022 conversation that we're having around women in technology? Uh, it's very frustrating I've been having this conversation for a really long time. So I worked in Colorado State University in 2005, 2008, and the conversation then was a a lot around recruiting diversity into our engineering programs, Um, diversity then mostly in terms of ethnic diversity, some geographic nationality diversity, um, and of course, gender diversity. And it was a challenge then. It always starts at the top. Do you have women in leadership roles? Do you have women in, they can't be in non-technical roles though, to Kate's point of the marketing and sales people, the, you know, the, that's not going to help attract very many female engineers. We need other female engineering leaders. And in the case at the university, it was female university professors. And once we started to get even we just added one female to the faculty and it improved the diversity and the diversity of applicants 
very quickly and also changing people's understanding of how vetting can discriminate. And in that world, it was the GRE scores, GRE and can be, and I'm out of it for a while now, but at least at the time, the research showed it was very biased in how people performed on it. And even GPA, when you consider that, um, like I was working with a student who was from UCLA or UC Berkeley, high ranking engineering school, and looking at that GPA compared to a GPA from even where we were, Colorado State University, much different programs, much different rigor. And could you compare those two GPAs apples to apples? My argument was no. So when we think about what we what we look at and how we score and rank and it's all paper, and that's unfortunate because a lot of times our unconscious bias come in. So not necessarily the scores, but just the idea that most of us have some kind of bias. And when we look at a document, we automatically, and unfortunately without really processing it, make decisions that hurt the overall impact of our, of our programs. So we're going to assume that a woman can or can't do this or will or won't do that or will or won't stay around. We're going to assume that someone from a diverse background um, isn't going to get along or whatever it might be. So we're going to make some of those assumptions and that is going to color our dis- our decisions perhaps without us even recognizing it. And this is where the whole idea of, uh, you know, unconscious bias comes in. We can't stay there, right? We can't just talk about that. It's more about really understanding how that comes in and working systemically to, to get it out. As a career services provider or an applicant, the first understanding is that this happens. This is real. I'm seeing a lot of talk right now, especially on LinkedIn, about how, you know, women don't get discriminated against and people want to hire mothers and go ahead and put your, you know, two years of child raising on your resume. That is one decision. And that's important for people to understand and perhaps be empowered to make that decision. It's also important that they understand the potential ramifications of doing that, of making it obvious that they are a mother and there are serious documented and the conversation that's going on right now tells us that they are not, they've not gone anywhere just because of COVID. There's serious documented issues for a woman to consider when she's making that decision. She may still decide or man parent, although men talking in the binary world, men tend to actually get a fatherhood bump so you might say, you know, why are you talking about moms and women? Because those that's where the discrimination happens. Men actually statistically get uh, more pay when they're a father. I don't really understand it, but that's the way it is. Women tend to get a decline, less, less opportunity. And as I said earlier, documented $11,000 less in salary. So I just encourage you, whether you're a candidate or you are helping candidates, to help people or for you to explore the pros and cons in and eyes wide open, no Pollyanna, you know, yes, just because LinkedIn says it's okay, doesn't mean that there isn't some drawbacks and some very serious, well-documented ones. And this goes unfortunately for all different types of underrepresented folks, whether you are LGBTQ plus A, whether you are in the, um, you know, uh, non-U.S. citizen applying to U.S. jobs or assumed, unfortunately, assumed because of your name to be a non-U.S. citizen, ethnicity and neurodiversity. So neurodiversity is one of those areas that people are really talking about in a positive way right now. And companies are changing their policies to recruit more neurodiverse individuals, to accommodate more neurodiverse individuals. And you can imagine that this is happening specifically in the tech industry because the tech industry, although never talking about it or really acknowledging it very much in the past, tends to have 
more of an attraction for neurodiverse individuals who tend to excel at math, science, engineering, technology. So when we think about what that looks like and what that might mean for you as an individual, it's really how do you want to come across really understanding and not sugarcoating the pros and cons with some data. Email me if you want it, mariacareerthoughtleaders.com. I've got the data on women's discrimination. We've got some data on racial discrimination. That doesn't mean you can't apply or that you can't include the information on your resume that will make it obvious. It does mean that you want to think about that. You want to think about all those pieces and how they fit together. And perhaps, as Kate was talking about, how can you job search differently? So Murray Mann, who's in our community and talks a lot about Latino, uh, Latina career change, career search, job search, always talks about that, you know, these diversity advocates they're out there for a reason. And now in the last couple of years, they've had even more impact in their organizations. So looking for diversity recruiters, looking for those advocates and mentors and sponsors who can help you get into those organizations and then making sure that you're building bridges and connecting and and being known in the circles where the decision makers hang out, even if they're not the same background as you, the the same, you know, uh, underrepresented group as you. And oftentimes that can be challenging, especially for, especially for younger job seekers who may be from a community where it was fairly uh, homogeneous or they tended to hang out with people that were in their same community. And now they may be struggling to build that bridge to the decision makers who unfortunately may not be in their community. When we do the thoughtful analysis, it's important to, of course, recognize the impact on our identity as a woman. You know, do I want to hide that I'm a woman? No. Do I want to hide that I'm a mother? Some may choose to. For some, that may be something that isn't an identity they want to hide. And those choices will all have to be weighed in terms of how you want to show up. And people will often say, well, if I, you know, if an organization doesn't want to hire mothers, I don't want to work there. But that's not exactly how it works. Remember, we're talking about unconscious, subconscious bias. Even if the organization or the leader is is on their way or they're making headway and they're, they're on the road, they still may make these unconscious snap judgments and you may say, well, I don't want to work there, and that that is a choice. But I would be cautious to assume that triggering a unconscious bias necessarily means that the person is discriminatory. Uh, it, it's just a defined line, and thinking about it that way can put you in a defensive position um, and thinking about it very negatively instead of exploring and staying curious and doing an experiment and seeing what kinds of conversations are different when we don't pieces into the conversation and we stay more focused perhaps on the professional connection to the job and how that connection can get the conversation started. And then the personal pieces come along later and and don't create an, a, a challenge, a problem. They never would. It's more that before that person knew you, their snap judgments were getting in the way. So we're going to take a short break, come back, give you a little checklist of things to think about in your job search if you are job searching in science, technology, engineering, and math. We'll be right back in just a few minutes. know that the career landscape has changed and that you need to be proactive about managing your career. You can have the foresight, skills, and confidence you need to take charge of your career and seize opportunities. A strategic advantage and career expert, Marie Simonoff has helped thousands of leaders like you get focused, get found, and get hired. 
Visit GetCareerSmart.com to find out more. That's GetCareerSmart.com or call 800-521-2080 to schedule your complimentary consultation. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Defeat the Chaos with Corey Harris and Julie Traxler hits on topics every week that affect small business owners across this country. They provide insights that show entrepreneurs how to reduce stress, wear fewer hats, and work shorter hours. Take your business from being owner-dependent and stagnant to growth-ready and process-driven every Thursday at 9 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. You are tuned in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. If you have a question or comment for Marie or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to marie at astrategicadvantage.com. Now, back to The Career Confidant. Welcome back to The Career Confidant, and today we've been talking about science, technology, engineering, and math in the job search, and Kate Williamson was here. She just shared some excellent information with you about how to get targeted and communicate and connect with the hiring manager, and we were sharing a little bit more also about the communicating in a way that really connects uh, regardless of what your background is. So let's dive back to the very beginning here and really understanding who your audience is and what position you're targeting and who are the different stakeholders that are going to be involved in those decisions. So if you are talking to individuals um, about a technical job, you have those technical hiring managers, the technical team, sometimes non-technical hiring managers. My husband's an engineer, and right now his boss, um, it's been, you know, decades since he was in a technical role. And then it it sometimes was in a different division. And so you have these different hiring managers that have different lexicon, right? They have a different thing that they're looking for. And when you're analyzing the job description, to really also understand who is the manager for this role, what is their background, um, more what is their background likely to be if we can't find it. But today on LinkedIn, oftentimes you can get a good guess at who would be the manager or team members for this role and what are their backgrounds. So you can speak their language. And going beyond just analyzing the job description, which is a good thing to do, we want to start there, but to actually look at who are these people, what is their language, and how can I connect what I've done to the points that they're going to care about in the language that they're going to understand. This isn't uh, particularly important, as Kate was talking about, when you're transitioning from academia corporate world, when you're transitioning from that more technical role to leadership role, because when you make those transitions, the language is really going to make a difference in terms of whether or not people see you as a fit or they see you as too technical when they're really looking for, you know, leadership or sales or marketing or whatever it might be you're trying to transition into. And this can be challenging because people feel like you're, you know, leaving behind a little part of yourself. You don't want to do that. You want to build on those experiences because they do provide that depth and proof about that right to the future, right to the job that you're applying to, not necessarily the you've been, 
unless you're making a very lateral move and you're staying in the same industry because otherwise you want to translate what you've done into that future language. The other thing that we talked about a little bit was you do want to communicate those soft skills and we need to communicate those in a way that's some depth. So don't just tell me you have excellent communication skills. Kate and I disagreed on that a little bit. I don't tell people to put excellent communication skills in their summary um, unless they you know, see it in every single job description or something because usually people want to know all of that. And those words can feel so hollow. It's just, you know, you read it. You collaborated on, on teams with engineers, marketing, sales. You tell me the type of people, the number of people, the things the teams were doing. Tell me the presentations that you've given. So Kate was talking about that, especially for people coming out of school. But one of the, you know, one of my husband's main accomplishments that he shares is always presenting to the board of directors when there's board of directors visiting one of his um, sites that he was a field engineer on on site at a brewery. Why wouldn't the board of directors want to tour a brewery, right? And so he got to do that presentation. So then it takes it from excellent communication skills to selected to deliver presentation and tour to board of directors see the difference, now we get that depth, we get that credibility. And if you really feel like you got to get the excellent communication skills in there, you could work it into the sentence instead of just listing it there as a statement, because it's going to have so much more impact when you've got the actual stories. Great part is that most companies do collaborations, you've always got a team, a project team, and most schools do group projects. So you've got it there, use it. So first thing is that we want to be real clear on who the audiences are, what language they use. Second thing is do you need to communicate those human interaction skills in a way that proves it, that shows it, that has credibility and, and specificity. And then the third thing I would say is to use your network, grow your network strategically so that you are able to make the transition that you need to make. So almost everybody today, unfortunately, faces some kind of, of bias, right? We're in a, a world where people love to be negative and they they love to have those negative thoughts running around their head and those don't go away just because they're looking at a resume. So the more you can do to build your network, to make yourself human, we don't tend to do that when we know someone, right? Like all, all of this group is X. And then when you get to know someone, you think, oh, but not that person. It's just the way our minds work. So if you can be the known quantity, you can be that person who has someone advocating for you you'll be able to get around. Thank you for listening to The Career Confidant. Marie Zimanoff will return again with another terrific guest next Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Be sure to join us then.